Welcome to Hindsight is 2020, a Motherhood Feels podcast. I'm Dr. Jill Garrett, a licensed psychologist who specializes in perinatal mental health and host of Hindsight is 2020. In this episode, I welcome seasoned mom Nikki Burdine. In addition to her role as mom, Nikki is the morning anchor of Good Morning Nashville on WKRN in Nashville. If you think your work or kid wake-up time is rough, you'll hear Nikki talk through her sleep schedule that requires a 2 or 3 a.m. wake-up call to be live on air from 4 to 7 a.m. If you like Nikki's banter with her Good Morning Nashville co-host, you can tune into their Not the News podcast for behind-the-scenes banter, and she and good friend, influencer, and former guest of this podcast, Ashley Houston, are preparing to launch the upcoming The Unfluential podcast. But wait, there's more. Nikki and her father, Miles, are also now authors to a children's book, Live Like Grunt, a story based on the unconditional love of their family dog, Grunt. You can learn more about Nikki at her website, www.nikkiburdine.com, and follow her on social at Nikki Burdine. <clears throat> You can learn more about Nikki at her website, NikkiBurdine.com, and follow her on social at Nikki Burdine. Check out this lovely lady next. Hey guys, it's me, Jill. If you are interested in integrating more support for moms, dads, and families into your healthcare system or business, please contact Motherhood Feels at motherhoodfeels at gmail.com. The Motherhood Feels supports include Before Baby Boot Camp, an online self-paced course and downloadable workbook that offers education, evidence-based coping skills, an opportunity to create a personalized coping plan, and resources for new and expectant parents. Check out motherhoodfeels.com for a sneak peek of the course and to check out my newly published rhyming storybooks with healthy mental health and safe sleep messages, Motherhood Feels M is for Mom and Fatherhood Feels D is for Dad. Both the course and the storybooks can be personalized to your healthcare system or corporation. And as per usual, help this podcast grow by subscribing on Apple and Spotify. You can find me on social at Motherhood Feels. Thanks for listening. Hey, Nikki, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So I'm excited to learn a little bit more about you. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, so I am, my name is Nikki Burdine, and I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a 40-year-old mom and wife and news anchor. I anchor the morning show here in Nashville called Good Morning Nashville. It starts every day at 4 a.m. I get here at 3. Um, and then I have a 40-year-old little girl named Andy. And um, like you, I have a lot of other side projects and passions and things that I'm sure we'll get into. Awesome. Well, thanks for giving us a rundown. And your schedule sounds insane. So it's, it's bizarre. Yeah. What time do you go to bed? I usually try to get in bed around like seven. I go to bed before my daughter does. You do. 
yeah, my husband puts her to bed. They, they put me to bed. It's great. And I used to try to stay up. And when she was going to bed before me, it was great. But, you know, she's almost five. So it's like going to bed at seven o'clock. It's not her cup of tea. Wow. So you're going to bed at seven. You're getting up at like three-ish or something? No, like 2.30. Two. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And so you're doing that. And then what about, because I have seen that you also do some different events. Like I saw you were hosting or interviewing people on the red carpet, the CMA awards. What do you do when you have events that are probably going on past your bedtime? So those are, you know, few and far between. Um, And we know that the CMAs come up every year and we always, that's going to be a tough night, but of course it's worth it for something that fun. But typically I, I, I say no to a lot of stuff during the week if it's after 5 p.m. because it's just so hard for me. And I've you know been trying to say no a lot lately and, and prioritize things that either bring me a whole lot of joy um, and are worth me losing sleep or don't impede on my sleep schedule. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that you are at Good Morning Nashville. And Mm -hmm. what is a typical day at Good Morning Nashville look like? I'm guessing there's probably not really a typical day because you've got a lot of different things that you're covering, but give us a little bit of an overview of what life as a anchor there looks like. I mean, the content is the only thing that changes. Like for the most part, every day, it really is the same. Um, I come into work every morning at three. And the first thing I do is we have like a little pre-show meeting with our producers. We talk about the stories of the day. Um, where our reporters are going to be, what our lead is going to be, the forecast, things like that. Um, I read over scripts and I usually only get through like the first hour of the show. We have three hour show every morning. So I usually get through the first hour uh, because the rest of it's either being still written or reworked um, by producers. And then I go and get ready, do my hair and makeup. And then we go on air at four and my co-anchor Neil and I, we just read the news for three hours essentially. And after the news, we have cut-ins, which are like little like two to three minute breaks that we cut into Good Morning America programming and just have like little news pieces. And, and that's what I was just doing before I came to see you. And then I usually work on special projects or things in the newsroom. And then I go on to my second job as a mom. Wow. So it sounds pretty interesting. And you mentioned Neil and my sense is he is a co-host. And I think I saw, yes. do you guys have a podcast together or have you podcasted together in the past? We did. So we started one before COVID and um, we are going to get it going back up again. It's called Not the News. And it's, you know, a lot of what we do is very heavy in the news and it, it's important. Bad stuff still happens and needs to be reported. Um, but a lot of the good things and a lot of the interesting things that are happening, we don't get to talk a lot about. So the podcast is a spin on that and, and talking about things that are not necessarily in the news, but are still newsworthy. So we're going to get that going again. That sounds like a fun and kind of a lighter way to connect off air. You also mentioned that you're a mom to Andy. And tell me a little bit about your journey to becoming a mom. Yeah. So Andy will be five in May. She's four and a half now. I can't believe it. Um, But she um, was born, I guess my journey to becoming a mother was, was not an easy one. It, it, you know, took us about a year and a half to conceive. I thought it was going to be so easy. And we were in DC for years before we moved back down South. And um, I knew whenever we moved down here that I was going to want to, you know, try to start a family. And it took a little bit of time. We finally got pregnant. And then um, at about 20 weeks, our anatomy scan came back a little abnormal. Doctor said, you know, she's not 
really her, her size is a little bit concerning. We're just going to monitor that. Um, and that just kind of started a whirlwind of issues. And she was not growing, you know, we would have scans like every few weeks and that turned into every single week in an ultrasounds, which was such a blessing, you know, in disguise, because I know a lot of moms get like two ultrasounds and, and I get to go see her every week, which was so wonderful. But every week, those ultrasounds, we were like praying for her to gain like 50 grams or something, you know, which is like an absurd amount. Like it's such a small amount of weight. And then I would say like 27 weeks, like the doctors were just saying, like, we knew she was going to come early. They just kept saying like, please, like, we'll just pray to make it to 28 weeks. And then 28 weeks to the day she came, they told us we were going to be admitted um, to the hospital, but they just kept saying like, she's, she's not going to come today. Like you're going to be admitted. It's going to be okay. We're just going to keep her cooking in there as long as we can. And 45 minutes later, we check into the hospital and they hook me up to machines just to check everything. And they say she's in distress and she's got to come. And then she was here. Wow. And so it all really started getting extra stressful around kind of the halfway point of pregnancy with the anatomy scans. Mm -hmm. Are you working at this time as well? Yes. Yes. Still working. Um, and of course you think about like, am I, did I do this? Is this something, you know, because, you know, I was, I guess, advanced maternal age. I was 34 at the time. Um, I guess when I first got 35, 35, how old was, I don't know. I was in my mid thirties. Um, and then, you know, you think, oh, it was my stressful job having an impact of it, but yeah, I was still working. You are doing what I hear a lot of moms do, which is putting blame on themselves for things yeah. that more likely are not to be blamed around. Right. And that is a hard pill to swallow when you're already going through what is obviously distressing. And it sounds like for you, it was an opportunity now with some hindsight to get to see her a little bit more with the weekly. Yeah. Stuff. But my guess is, wow, that was probably really challenging. It was. It, I always say the day that she was born was the scariest and best day of my life. Of course, it's the best day of my life because my daughter was born, but it was the scariest and probably one of the hardest days of my life. Yeah. And my sense is she probably met that criteria for being a micro preemie at around mm -hmm. 28-ish weeks. My sense is she went to the NICU. Could you mm -hmm. share a little bit about the delivery and what happened after she was born? Yeah. So she was born 28 weeks to the day and she weighed one pound, four ounces. I mean, she was, she was this big. She looked like a Barbie doll. She was so tiny. So when some moms have a C-section, they're able to hold their baby after, of course, I didn't get to do that. I didn't even get to see them like take her away. Cause I, I was, um, you know, opened up, but my husband was there and I just kept saying, can you see her? Is she okay? And he just kept saying, she's really small. She's really small. So they put her in like a little Ziploc baggie almost and you know, whisked her off to the NICU and they sewed me back up and I went back up to, um, you know, recovery. And I think it was like, maybe like eight hours later that I was able to go down and see her. They wheeled me down. And I, of course, kept saying, is she going to be okay? Is she going to be okay? And everybody just kept saying, she's alarmingly small. She's just really small. She's just really small. Um, so nobody would really answer me because they didn't know, you know, but she was immediately in the NICU and she stayed there for 71 days all things considered, we were really, really lucky because we made it to 28 weeks and her lungs were developed. She only had to be on oxygen for like a couple of days. Her lungs were so strong. It was just her size. And we had to wait for her to put on all that weight 
And we did have one really scary, really scary time. And that was when she got a blood infection and she went into sepsis. And uh, that was, I think that was probably the hardest because the doctors just kept saying, you know, um, you need to go and you need to pray right now. And there's nothing we can do kind of thing, but she beat it. And um, maybe like a month after that, she came home. Well, dealing with the NICU plus a infection like sepsis, that would make yeah. it really helpless. It was. It was really, really scary, really, really hard. Yeah. And I heard you say 71 days. Whenever I work with NICU families, they know to the date, sometimes yeah. to the hour, how long they were there. And what was the homecoming like when you got out of there? I mean, I'll never forget it. Um, because I, so you know, after I had her, of course, I had to recover from a C-section, but I didn't want to spend my whole maternity leave while I was, at, or while she was in the NICU. I wanted to, you know, still have some for whenever she came home. So I was still working, uh, but my company was really wonderful. After, what was it, eight weeks, I think, I went back to work, but I would do the morning show and then I would leave every day at 7 a.m. instead of staying like I do now and go straight to the NICU. So I was there with her, you know, all day long, every single day, just hanging out until then I would go home and go to bed and my husband would take over and, and he would sit with her. It was one of those days I was at work and we knew it was getting close. Like doctors kept saying, you know, she's close to four pounds because the criteria to coming home in the NICU is you have to weigh four pounds. You have to be able to um, take a bottle and you have to be able to uh, breathe on your own. So she was able to take a bottle. She was breathing on her own. And we were so close to that four pound mark. Like We were so close. And I knew it was it's okay. And I knew it was getting, I knew we were getting close anyway. So, um, I went to work that morning and I came home, I went and got my haircut and I was getting my haircut whenever, um, the doctor called and I was like, Oh my gosh, I gotta go go right now. And I left and, and picked her up. That's so exciting. What did it feel like? Take this four pound baby, um, who (laughs) had made it through what sounds like months of some challenges out yeah. of the hospital and into your home, I think that probably would be a little extra scary. Yeah, it was. Um, whenever you take a baby home from the NICU, I, I'm sure you know this, but for people who don't, you have to do, um, they call it a, a night in at the hospital in the NICU. So they have a room for parents and you sleep on a little pullout couch there and, and they have a little bed right there and you know you swaddle them and they sleep and just see how things do that night. So we did that and it was a success and they have to pass the car seat test too. And she's so small, like they said she was four pounds, but I think they were putting their thumb on the scale a little bit. Like there's, she was a little bit less than four pounds. And I'm so fine with that because the doctors knew they were like, she's physically ready. She's okay. She just needs a little bit more weight. We're not going to keep this little girl here because they knew that once she got home, she'd be able to put weight on a little bit more. So, um, but yes, she was very small. And I, I knew that she was small, but I didn't, I guess I didn't realize how small she was. You know, you get so used to holding, this is just, this is my baby. She's, this is her size. This is the way it is. That whenever we brought her home, um, we didn't take her out anywhere for a while. You know, they tell us we had to be quarantined and this was before COVID. But when we finally did take her out, I remember people just being like, (gasps) like kind of almost like shocked and a little bit like taken aback that she was so small because she looked like a newborn and she was three months old. And they would say, how old is she? Oh my gosh, like, was she literally just born? And I would tell them she's like almost four months old. They're like, oh my gosh, like, oh my gosh. Like everyone was just very scared. Nobody wanted to hold her. Everybody just wanted to kind of like keep their distance. And 
And of course I appreciated that, but, and then after she was home for a few months, then COVID happened. So we really had to quarantine. Yeah. Wow. So I'm thinking, uh, you were kind of in more isolated mode for even longer. How was that for you? emotionally, that would be really hard for, for somebody like me who likes to go out and talk. How was it for you? Yeah, it was hard. Um, it was hard, but it was also okay because I went on my second maternity leave and was able to stay home with her exclusively. And, and I was home for eight weeks at that time. So I took a total of 16 weeks. And I remember being like, okay with the the isolation almost. I was fine with being in this bubble because I felt that I could control it and keep her safe and keep the sickness and everything away. Um, I, I'm like you, I, I crave like human interaction and all that. So I was definitely ready, but, um, the trauma, like I didn't really experience or realize it didn't set in. I don't think until much, much later. And, and I think a lot of Mickey families feel that way because it's just, you're, you're just in survival mode. Like literally you're just figuring it out. And then all of a sudden, like a year or two later, like, oh shit, like, oh my gosh, like that's what we did. Yeah. And then you went straight into COVID and I can hear how it did have a bit of a bonus in that it felt protective and that you could have some Mm -hmm. control over keeping her safe from germs and some of the scary things that uh, families worry about with NICU babies or just your babies in general. But I'm also hearing how it would just be a long period of isolation. So I recognize that (laughs) that was probably a really tricky. Yeah, for sure. I think I've seen some pictures or videos of your daughter now as a four and a half year old, and she looks healthy and well, and my sense is that she is thriving. Could you give us a little bit of an overview on how she's doing? Yeah, I call her a little badass because she is tiny. She's 27 pounds as a four and a half year old. That's pretty small. And most people think, oh, she's a little cute little two-year-old. I'm like, no, she's, she's big girl. Um, but she's right developmentally. She's everything that she should be doing. She is feisty. I think whatever she lacks in size, she makes up for. Um, she's kind of a jerk sometimes, but in a good way. Is that sure. okay to say? Like she's she's mean, but like feisty. You know what I mean? Oh, I totally it's get good. <laughs> um, and I appreciate her feistiness, and I know that will serve her well. But she's she's great. She's healthy. She's in school. She loves it. She does gymnastics, and she has no fear. Like they moved her up to the class ahead of her because she just like will throw her body into these situations. And she's awesome. She sounds fun. And I can tell you that my nine and six-year-old daughters would probably love to hang out with her because they sound like they share some similar spirits there. Yeah. Yes. These feisty little girls. I was thinking about how you said you took your second maternity leave and it sounds Mm -hmm. like you separated your maybe chunk of 16 weeks into two parts. That sounds like a really creative way to do things. Yeah. And, you know, I never thought about this being an issue, obviously, because nobody plans on having a baby in the NICU. Um, But whenever she came home, you know, like I said, I I didn't want to or whenever she was in the hospital, I I didn't want to spend my whole time off of work and then her come home and then I have to go to work. And, you know, so, um, my company was wonderful and they said like, let's, you know, no questions asked kind of thing, like take, take this time, go be with her every single day. And then when she comes home, we can talk and she came home and I said, all right, I'm, you know, I'm going to go back on my turn leave. And they said, what do you want to do? I think I had like four weeks of paid time left and I took that. And then, um, I took the rest as like short-term disability and some unpaid, it's just a hodgepodge. And I'm so fortunate to be able to do that to 
have a company that offers that, but then also, you know, the unpaid and then the short-term disability either doesn't pay or doesn't pay very well. And I, and I recognize that I'm very fortunate to be able to do that. But in my postpartum journey and hearing all these other moms and these NICU families who don't have that opportunity, like people don't give you, most, most companies do not give moms and dads and families special treatment when they have a baby in the NICU. It's true. And so you are very thoughtful to notice that your experience was a little different. Um, frankly, I wish you had more time. It's nice to get what you can get and have an organization and leadership who support where you are and give you what you're looking for in time yeah. that are hard. You mentioned that you have a few side projects going on too. I would love to hear about what you're working on in addition to mom life and good morning Nashville life. Uh, well, I wrote a book. Um, I wrote a children's book whenever I was, um, it was actually when I was on maternity leave with Andy because, you know, being a creative, I, I was like, I gotta do something. Not that I was bored, but I still wanted to flex that creative muscle during that time. So we, I, um, I wrote this children's book called Live Like Grunt, and I wrote it with my dad. And it's basically just life advice through the viewpoint of our family dog named Grunt. My dad, when we were little, he would tell my sisters and I, like, you know, how to have a positive attitude and, you know, have a good outlook on life and all these other, like, little things things that we should be doing to be good, smart, productive kids. But he realized that we were not listening to him. And every day when we came home from school, we would just like gravitate towards this dog. Like he could do no wrong. And dad's like, you know, I'm doing everything for you. Like this dog, like just lay there. And he started to realize like, maybe this is a teaching opportunity. So my dad would say like, girls live like grunt. He's doing this. Like he's always had, always has a positive attitude. He's always happy to see you. And that became a quote. So it turned into like notes in our lunchbox. And then we went to college. It turned into emails that dad would put together like with clip art you know like a picture of the dog with like a quote that he wrote like daily advice for from grunt and then when I had Andy I was of course reading to every night and I was thinking of these things and I thought you know what that would make a good children's book so I called my dad and I said do you still have all those and he said yes we put it into a book made it happen that's awesome I love the concept <laughs> where can people find the book it's on my website, NikkiBurdine.com. Uh, if you order it from there, I will sign it for you and wrap it up and everything. Uh, it's also on Amazon, but I always send people to my website. Sure. Well, that's really neat. And then I think you might have a podcast on the horizon in addition yes. to the one with Neil. <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I love like positive, lighthearted things and telling stories about people. That's why I became a journalist in the first place. But a lot of times we don't get to do that in the news because there is so much bad happening. And if it were up to me, we would air only positive news, but that's not the real world. Um, so I started this podcast with one of my best friends. Her name is Ashley, and she's an influencer, which I find to be a fascinating job. But she and I just became friends, and we started talking about all these stories and all these people we wanted to interview and talk about the real life side of being a woman, all the issues we deal with. It is called Unfluential, and it is tackling all sides of motherhood and being a woman. We literally will tackle everything, you know, interviewing people from celebrities to like experts in their fields and a smorgasbord. Awesome. And it has not come out yet or it's on the horizon? 
not yet. We have recorded two episodes. We are about to record a third. And we just want to have like several like in the tank before we released. Understood. Well, that's exciting. I can't wait to tune in and listen to it. It sounds like it will Thank be you. a variety of different topics. And like you said, it will be something probably for everybody. So that'll be fun to listen to. One thing popped in my head as you were talking about news. I'm kind of going all over the place here. But you you were talking about news and how it's not all lighthearted. And I'm yeah. wondering. For you now as a mom, or even before you were a mom, how you sit in the chair and deliver hard stories and maybe ones that are triggering for you, how do you do that? It's a really good question. And um, before I became a mom is very different than when after I became a mom. And and that's not to say I didn't love children before. Of course, I love children before. Everybody does. And not to say that people who aren't parents don't have this sort of empathy, but it feels different. And it's very different for me. Um, because before I had Andy, I, of course, you, 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 you read sad stories and it breaks your heart and you feel for it, but you can disassociate with that because you can't, you can't relate as a parent since becoming a mother and then reading these stories about this child abuse, or, um, I'm sure you heard about what happened in Nashville with the covenant school shooting when, um, a shooter went into a school and, and killed children that was very, very hard for me. And it's still very hard for me to talk about. Um, in fact, I had an on-air breakdown when that happened um, because it, it, you can kind of like compartmentalize these things when you're in news. At least I can. That's the only way. It's like survival mode for me. In fact, I'll tell you a little joke about this. My husband will always say like, you know, what's the forecast going to be this weekend? And I always just tell him like, oh, I don't know. I, I can't remember. Just look it up. And he's like, didn't you just like listen to your meteorologist tell you that for like three hours? And I'm like, yes, but it, it's not that I don't listen. It's self-preservation. Like I have to almost let the information go in one ear and out the other, because if I absorb it, it keeps me up at night. Like prior to having Andy, the stories about the animal abuse and things like it keeps me up at night. And now it's the stories about the children and then the covenant school shooting. And I'm not comparing my grief or my trivial, like sadness to what these parents felt whenever they lost their children in that. But whether I, you know, can sort of empathize a little bit differently now. And and it is hard. It, it's very, very hard now um, since becoming a mother. And, and I don't know the solution other than just trying to occupy the space in my brain with happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be really, really hard. And particularly, I, I know for me, after having kids, there's certain work as a psychologist that I opt not sure. To. And yeah, you have to protect yourself. Yeah. And so I can see how that would be similar in in your line of work. You mentioned an on-air breakdown. And I'm also guessing from time to time, there might be on-air bloopers. Uh, (laughs) What do you notice about uh, living life in front of a camera where your reactions are recorded? Um, I love it. I've always wanted to do this when I was in my first job, you know, 17 years ago. I remember messing up or mispronouncing a word or something. And I had a news director like pull me aside. He'd be like, it's okay if you mess up. Cause I beat myself up about it. You know, and he's like, you don't need to worry about that. Like everybody messes up. People stumble and stutter. If you were perfect reading, it would be weird because nobody wants to hear a robot speak. They want to hear you speaking the news and telling them what's going on for the day as if they're hearing it from somebody that they know because they feel like they know you, they see you in their homes every day. And when he said that, it really kind of changed my point of reference because, of course, I try to do a good job, but I don't beat myself up on it because it's it's life and it's normal and it's just local news. You know, I'm not a brain surgeon. It's 
not that serious, but the bloopers do happen. And I did, I have said some very embarrassing things on air that like, like my friends and family do not let me live down. And and I'll give you an example if you want one. (laughs) So, and this was when I first started at Good Morning Nashville. I, I think I was in the job like maybe two months. And this day I came in and I got to read the scripts beforehand, but there are a lot of times when we don't get to read a script in advance where we're doing a cold read, which means we've never seen the words before. We've never read that script before until it is right in front of us when we're reading it live on air. And that's totally fine. That's very normal. Like if there's breaking news or something, or we get busy and we just can't get to that and read it over. And this was one of those days. Um, Again, I was brand new to this job and I hadn't read over this one script. I've also, at this point, I had never been to France. I did not speak French and we had a producer who is no longer here, but he was was not really the best at putting in pronouncers and things or giving us a heads up. You know, now I have great producers and if something's coming up that's crazy, it's like, hey, just a heads up, like this guy's name is weird. I put a pronouncer in there for you, but this is how you say it. And that's really helpful. This person didn't do that. Anyway, so um, this, have you been to the Champs-Élysées in, in Paris? Yeah. So it was in the teleprompter. It said Champs Ulysses, but it was spelled out like Champs. It was spelled out like Ulysses, not not in a French way, with no accent, no like hyphens or anything. And I said Champs Ulysses on air. It was very embarrassing. That sounds yeah. totally yeah. relatable. And I'm yeah. hearing you say that when there are these missteps, despite them being missteps, I think other people can relate to them and it makes you uh, a human. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was at 4.15 in the morning on a Monday in Nashville. And I I think had it been in New York City, it probably would have been way worse. But I think most of our viewers at 4 a.m. are either like off listening or just like don't know what I'm talking about or either they just give me a lot of grace and I'm thankful for it all. (laughs) Well, let me ask you a tough question. This question is about uh, hindsight. And what, in hindsight, you wish you had known ahead of becoming a mom? Are there things that you wish you had known ahead of this whole journey that would have been helpful? Um, Let's see. Before I became a NICU mom, there were things I wish that I would known. But there's not really anybody who can prepare you for that. And, And I think I would just, like, also encourage people who are in this situation to have support for their partners as well, because I was, of course, very fragile and in a different perspective than my husband, but he had to deal with a lot of it. Everybody wants to call and and check on you and see how you're doing. How is Andy? How's the baby? But nobody wanted to call me. So they were calling my husband nonstop. And he was just dealing with this trauma, like nonstop. And And I think that you can probably relate to this as a mother, because all births are traumatic, right? Like not even if your birth is perfect and your baby is healthy and nothing goes wrong, it's trauma, right? Men don't deal with that when it's a perfect birth, but my husband had to deal with it and he's not biologically equipped to handle that. And and I think that it it took some time for me to realize that he did indeed go through trauma and for other people as well. So I think some things that I wish I knew from that perspective is maybe um, how to deal with the trauma for myself and for my husband and how to tell people how to help me and support me because there were times that I didn't want to talk to people and then there were times that I did and and I didn't really know how to articulate that well. Mm-hmm. Those are good points. And I think you're right in that a lot of times partners, because they're a little bit removed mm-hmm. from an experience, they are a little bit disregarded in the experience. Yeah. So making sure that they are also getting the support makes sense. And then also figuring out how you can communicate what you need and what you don't need, uh, which is a little 
tricky sometimes when you're sleep deprived, managing a small human. Um, so those are all yeah. good, good moments of hindsight that I hear you bringing up. So uh, before we wrap up, anything else that you would like to share with us? I, I truly am an open book, so I'm, I'm sure I forgot some things that people might you know, be able to identify with. But I feel like lately, I've honestly like been feeling a little bit of the trauma creep back in as well. And that was a surprise for me because I, I thought, you know, you think kids four years old, like you've already dealt with this and you've gone on and, and I would read things. So people say, Oh, you could see it creep back in, you know, even after five years. And I'm starting to realize that and, and trying to understand that more because there'll be worrisome thoughts and stress and things that come forward. And you're just kind of like, wait, I thought I dealt with this. I thought she's healthy. Look at her. She's fine. So I think I would tell other NICU moms that, it, it, you know, you might not be out of the woods yet and to give yourself some grace there. Yeah, you described it really well. When you're in it, you're in it and you're in fight and flight mode oftentimes. Yeah. And when you get to the other side and there's a little bit of breathing room, that's when sometimes some of these scary traumatic experiences can flare and can be a little surprising to be there. So being yeah. able to like you said, give yourself some grace and be able to work through and cope with those things, even if they're not yeah. things that happened yesterday. Yeah, it's it's a weird feeling. You know, you think you're on the other side and then you're like, wait, I'm not. <laughs> well, I thank you so much, Nikki, for talking through your experience as a mom and what sounds like a very cool, creative and interesting and dynamic career. So thanks for taking time. Thank to you. Speak. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. 